0: Welcome to the Founders for Good podcast, hosted by myself, Craig Turner. Join me as I speak to the most inspirational founders of four good startups, the people that are leading the way when it comes to solving the world's most pressing issues. I explore their journey as founders and their best kept secrets on how to grow a four good startup and how to hire top people. My hope is that this will inspire you to be part of the solution and do your bit in making the world a better place. Thanks for tuning in to the Founders for Good podcast. Becky Taylor is the co-founder and CEO of Tech Returners. From her own personal experience of taking time out to have her first child, Becky realised the barriers that exist for people returning to work in the tech space. And although there is huge demand for tech talent, sadly, those that take career breaks are often overlooked or ignored. So, Becky set up Tech Returners to combat this problem. Tech Returners run programmes that allow people to brush up on their soft and technical skills that they need to feel confident about returning to work. These programs are sponsored by tech companies, so they're completely free for returners and offer them employment at the end. And when you consider over 80% of their applicants are women and they have an average of 12 years experience in tech, it's mind-blowing that more companies aren't investing in returning tech talent. So in this episode, Becky shares her views on the barriers for people who take career breaks, the current state of diversity, inclusion and technology and her lessons in building a tech for good business. Hey Becky, thanks for coming on the show today.
1: Uh, thanks for having me, Craig.
0: No problem. Um, so always start with the same kind of format, chatting a little bit about your background. So I just wonder if you could give like a brief overview of your background and I guess like kind of what's led you into the like returning talent space, if that's cool.
1: Yeah, no problem at all. So, um, yes, I'm Becky. I am CEO and co-founder of an organization called Tech Returners. So predominantly, we support people that have had established technology careers in software engineering and had a career break for whatever reason, and we support them transitioning back into their careers in technology. Um, The reason why we do what we do is uh, born out of my own personal experience. So my background is people, HR and talent. So I've been involved in that sector for the past 18 years and the past 15 of those years been involved in tech. So scaling high growth tech businesses through the value of people. Um, So nine years ago, um, I fell pregnant with Ethan, my first child, and it was my whole first experience of understanding what people felt when they transitioned out and then back into an industry and such a fast-paced industry such as tech. So when I returned, even though it was just a short sort of maternity break, I realised the impact that it had not only on, you know, skill set, tech still moved very quickly in that short period of time, confidence and also my network because everything seemed to be in the evenings and I've been a young child, I couldn't necessarily attend anymore. Um, so it led me to uh, co-found a community meetup group called Women in Tech North. Um, and we've grown that community over the past uh, five years. And what was one of the resounding sort of conversations was was what, what where was the support for people looking to return to tech? So there's some amazing initiatives doing around schools and colleges and universities. Um, but what I was sort of seeing, what we was trying to sort of like visualize is if we're feeding the talent pipeline, but they get into a certain point and then they're falling out and not returning, it will create sort of like a leaky bucket effect. And, you know, the more we fall, fill it up, the more that's going to fall out. So it sort of led me into looking around, around this area in a lot more detail with my business partner, James. And back in 2017, we decided to see whether there was an actual demand. And, you know, as the saying goes, the rest is history. And, you know, (laughs) uh, we've grown and scaled uh, considerable amounts over the past uh, four and a half years.
0: Got it, and um, obviously we're going to spend quite a bit of time chatting about tech returners specifically. But before we do, I always like to set some kind of set the scene a little bit. So to talk, and you touched on some things there around kind of the career gaps and like returning talent, and you know your personal reason and your experience. I just wondered, like more generally, like what are some of the reasons that people take career breaks? Like I guess kind of like um, you know parents um, taking maternity or paternity leave is a big one. What other things do you tend to see? And then secondly. And again, you touched a little bit, but to explore a bit more around kind of them, what barriers they find they have trying to get back into work.
1: Yeah, so it's really interesting. So we've started, so we've got now quite rich data um, around the reason for return, um, sorry, career breaks along like other other statistics. And we're actually going to be releasing quite an in-depth report over the next couple of uh, weeks to just sort of share those insights um, because obviously you've, you've got the most obvious one around being a parent like myself and experiencing, you know, a short-term maternity break. Um, you've also got people have had extended sort of parental breaks. So where people have decided to, at the primary school years, take that career gap and focus on, you know, the school runs, et cetera, being there on school holidays. They probably get to like go into high school and feel that it's their time to go back to their career. We have people that have relocated from different countries um, for family reasons, personal reasons, and looking to reignite their career. Um, I hate to say that word COVID, but we found a lot of people being affected by COVID and being made redundant or through actual ill health um, that they're now wanting to return. Uh, people that have taken, wanted to take in career breaks, whether to do something personal, personal projects like travelling, um, side projects like house renovations. There's a whole variety. So it's not just from a parental um, aspect. Um, there is other factors as well. And I think, but one common common um, aspect that they all find is that they make that decision, and it's not an overnight decision to return. You know, it's usually probably a good six to twelve months for them to really get their mindset in the place. Right? Okay. Well, if I've got care and responsibilities, how's that going to work? You know, if like I need to juggle around, you know, in terms of child care arrangements, how's that going to work? Just getting yourself into the right mindset of going, right, is that the right time for me? And then what do we do? We go to the traditional approaches. You know, we go to maybe apply to companies direct, might go to recruitment agencies. And more often than not, they've had a knockback because in terms of where they present themselves in their CV as a career gap. Um, and that's that whole stigma about having a, a gap on your CV. And it's almost like interpreted that they haven't been doing anything, but that's not the case. They've probably been upskilling themselves in, you know, further courses, technical qualifications, certifications, you know, and plus all the transferable skills that they've had. Um, which they've acquired through their own career break and actually adding more value. But I think one of the things that we're trying to do is sort of eliminate those biases. So we actually don't utilize CVs at all because we want to eliminate, you know, when you look at a CV, that to eliminate looking at dates and, you know, that very standard format. And actually we've created something now called return a profile which gives a holistic view of that individual just focusing on like the skills and the value experience and expertise that person can take to that um organization and uh, the organizations that we've worked with have really welcomed that and it has eliminated you know those biases um that people have
0: yeah Really interesting. And my next question is going to be around, like I'm kind of baffled by it, like reading through your website and seeing some of the stats on there in terms of, I think 80% of the people in the program are women. So like quite a quite a diverse talent pool, considering what you probably see in the actual industry itself. Um, and then like you said, it's like an untapped pool of talent that, you know, there's a lot of investment in getting people into tech and then, um, later on, but yeah, there's this like, weird bit in the middle. How come companies are like haven't tapped into this pool of talent historically? Is is it like you said, like actually the way the hiring process are set up, there's too much bias and discrimination, or is it a case of some of them just don't know how to access that pool of people?
1: I think it's a variety from the people that we've talked about. And obviously, you know, it's a, a pool of people, you know, a lot of people probably listen to this, might have their own opinions, but I'll, I'll go in terms of what we've been sharing. Um, One or two things that, you know, traditionally recruitment, you know, you go and search in the same talent pool and you've done something one particular way and, you know, you can continue to do that. And you have not really looked outside the box of what you normally do. You know, apprenticeships, graduates have been around for, you know, a, a very long time. And then obviously we came in and I would like to say we were probably one of the first that talked about returners and then we had the the misunderstanding that these were entry-level individuals which was which is totally wrong these people have had established careers you know an average of 12 years so then there's a misunderstanding and you know then there's an aspect that we need to educate what actually a returner is, you know, in terms of they've got experience. So I think it's a combination that people have always done it one way and, you know, setting the ways a little bit in terms of what they've done and then not the knowledge of around actually what a returner is. So not understanding the value that somebody who has had a career break can actually bring to the organisation. And um, You know, when we place uh, returners into organisations, a hate levels, I hate the, you know, what's a junior, what's an entry, what's a mid, what's a senior, because I think that's very, uh, very different in different types of organizations, but they're going in as experienced roles. They're going in, you know, learning, obviously, out the organization about their sort of code, but they're not being taught to code if that's um if that makes sense and you know, they're not like right at the beginning of their career that they're, they're still in their, in their middle level and um, progressing further into their career and i think that's a big misconception about returners
0: yeah yeah makes a lot of sense and um the second kind of impact that i see which is completely linked to what we're already talking about is like diversity in technology um that you that you help with the tech returners um, I wondered like what's your how would you describe the current state of diversity in tech because like to me there's a it's talked about a lot Um there's a lot of noise but it's really hard to tell how much has actually been done or like is it improving so I just wondered like what your perception is of of where we are currently
1: yeah I think um, for many years I put myself into this category as well we really focused around diversity first it was always diversity and inclusion and I think you know A few years ago, I realized actually, you know, we really need to look at it the other way around, you know, for us to have a more diverse technology sector, we need to sort of look at. The inclusivity part first. Organizations need to make sure that they have inclusive cultures, inclusive practices, um, to attract and definitely retain more diverse talent. So I see a lot of organizations talk about diversity, and one of my questions because we do a very thorough uh, due diligence on the companies that we work with, and you know we're proud of that because my My sort of the forefront of what we do and, you know, my priority is the returners. We're helping individuals coming back into technology. And I want to make sure that as an organisation, we're placing these individuals where they can thrive, develop and get the support, you know, in the right culture. So part of our due, due diligence is looking in terms of their inclusivity aspects of it and i think it's something that companies need to really look at themselves and go right okay yeah what well, what what do we provide in terms of inclusivity and what can we work on and it's not about having an organization that's you know got everything perfect because that doesn't exist we, we're continually obviously learning and growing but what Where I've worked with organisations is maybe have a roadmap of the things that you want to achieve and then sort of steps of progressing that forward. And I think if you're transparent around that, and I think that automatically then attracts you to more diverse, uh, more diverse talent pool, rather than saying, right, we want to um, recruit more uh, women. And we get that a lot. You you can imagine, obviously, being yourself in the recruitment field, the person, the companies come to you, go, I've come to you because we want to um, recruit more women. I mean, well it doesn't work like that you know um you've got to sort of think about right okay well why do we want more diversity within our organization what can we provide them in terms of inclusive cultures and that will support it and we shouldn't really also just focus on gender diversity you know we should focus if- We're very much advocates of diversity of thought, you know, especially returners, having had previous experience. And then, like you've mentioned, you're a father yourself in terms of that amount of transferable skills that you've learned probably over the past five years. What that actually can then provide to an organisation is invaluable. So we need to sort of shift it just by going, actually, We've got this diversity tick box. We need more women. Um, we, we need yeah. We need a different age range, etc. We need to look at, right, okay, well, why are we doing this? And actually, have we got the right infrastructure in our organisation to support the diversity going forward? So I think it's been really enlightening for the past couple of years for me to think about it a little bit different, inclusion before diversity, because I then I do think that helps. Um, in terms of the shift... Um, I can only speak, you know, in terms of, you know, from ourselves, we've seen a huge shift in terms of the amount of women, especially that we've helped into back into organisations. You know, it's over 150 now. and, And for us, that's absolutely amazing. And not only that, it's not about also like a numbers game. It's about the value again. So, there's a piece of research when we started tech returners that from the PwC that says people returning to work often get up to 40% lower in terms of salary. And I was like, wow, God, right. Sorry, not 40%, £4,000 lower than in salary. And what we wanted to do is make sure that we um, make sure that The companies we work with actually understood the value that they're actually providing. So on average, we're increasing people's salary on average about £19,000 per person uh, to come back into the industry. And that just goes to show in terms of the value that people can provide, um, even though they've had a career break.
0: Yeah, no, loads of good points. And um, yeah, I completely agree in terms of like the inclusion comes first and also transparency is completely key, I think yeah like you said no one expects perfection but i think they do really appreciate saying like this is the steps we've taken so far this is the journey we're on here's where we are and this is what we plan to do and we're really open to any more ideas or feedback or better ways that we could be doing things um awesome so let's chat about tech returners specifically for a little bit i know we've touched it quite a bit now um and i think it's pretty clear what you guys do but just in case um could you just give a brief snapshot of, of what tech returners does
1: Yep. So we support people returning to technology after a career break and how we do that is that we provide upskilling uh, for individuals. So say if you've had a career, a career break, you were a software engineer before, you've had a career break say for six years, you've got all the fundamentals because you've you've coded probably for the 10 years previous but what you're not up to date with is in terms of the current tech or the current frameworks and that's what we're here to do. So we provide upskilling in terms of technical so whether that's in terms of uh, we do courses in Java, C Sharp, um, you know front end in terms of JavaScript etc and we upskill them through a curriculum over an eight week period. Supported by that we do career and mindset management. So one of the biggest barriers for people returning is around their own confidence, because they've been at the industry, they might have been knocked back and they need support in terms of their own mindset and their confidence. So we have a curriculum in terms of how we support them around growth mindset, around interview preparation, around, um, you know, talking about yourself even you know and even in the remote world that we are in now and um, like confidence on camera and then on we work with um organizations so um an organization that we're working at the moment checkout.com so they have um supported at this cohort to upskill in um technology and then they will have a talent pool to recruit into their organization so no returner pays to come on and. Upskill. It's all free from a returner perspective, but the organisation pays it forward for us to deliver the programme for free. So it's like a pay it forward model. And then they have a talent pool of individuals that then can transfer into an organisation. So yeah, in essence, it, you know, I feel it's very simple, a bit of a no brainer, you know, you're, you're supporting people, you're getting diversity and also you're uh, fulfilling your, your talent pipeline and recruiting some amazing individuals into the business.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And, um, I'm fascinated. I just wanted like going back to the early, early days, like you, you'd had your personal experience. It kind of raised your awareness of this issue. Um. Where did you go from there? Like the early days of tech returners, I think you mentioned it was you and and, um, co-founder. You know, did you have any funding? Um, How did you go about validating like this need, this idea in the market? Was it trying to get your first customer signed up and test this program or where did you start?
1: Yeah, it brings a smile to my to my uh, face. So uh, James, who is my co-founder. So basically we both work for the same organization. Uh, so we've known each other for, for a period of time. I was HR director. He was a head of development um, and we wanted to do something. So we, initially we were both consulting. So we were both consulting and bringing the value of people and technology together and going out into organizations. And then when we wanted to look, around the tech returners model. Obviously it wasn't called that back then. It was, you know, just something that we were were piloting. Um James will say that he was going out in day-to-day to bootstrap in terms of uh, the idea around uh, putting courses on uh, for people to upskill. So we didn't have any funding. Uh, it was all self-funding and we had, you know, some amazing supporters right from the word go. Uh, there was a lady called Maya um, who supported us in terms of from um, the landing over in Salford Keys, which is now not called the landing and I've totally forgotten the name of that, host, uh, host in Salford Keys. And, uh, Darren, who, uh, worked at Barclays Eagle Labs at that time and gave us some space and actually put on, um, you know, refreshments, uh, cause delivered everything in person back then, you know, you yeah, won't believe yeah. it now, but yeah, <laughs> you delivered everything in person. Um, and then once we got the traction, believe it or not, when it was just James and I, um, we, I was going out talking about what we wanted to do, what we want to achieve and somebody, um, I uh, was in the audience, uh, Sue from the, who was working at the BBC at the time and, you know, picked up the phone to us and, you know, they say rest is history. And we actually, our first client that we worked with was this BBC at uh, Salford Keys, which was absolutely amazing. And we really, it was one of those pinch me moments where we couldn't actually believe that, you know, Our first partnership was with such a huge reputable, reputable organization. Um, And then that started to to grow from there. And like I said, everything at that point was delivered um, in person. And obviously, again, you know, a couple of years ago, that all had to switch very much overnight but it did um, create an actual opportunity for us because now we can actually reach more people across the UK to upskill and then transition into organisations. Now with what well, now we do the courses remotely.
0: Yeah, yeah, it makes complete sense. Um, and I guess just to dig into the programs and, and how they work a little bit more um, in terms of the like what constitutes a return. is there a criteria there on your behalf like, in terms of what? people need to meet certain requirements to be classed as a returner.
1: So um, in terms of from our perspective, we need people that have been uh, software engineers um, previously. So uh, people that have had experience as software engineers. And that's not to say in the future we won't diversify and obviously look at other uh, technical roles within um, the industry. But just currently, we're just focused on software engineers. So they need to have had a career before. They have need to have a gap. We don't have any requirements in terms of length of gaps um, because how we sort of um take them through the process is trying to we under, try and understand in terms of where they're at so we do um a process where we talk to them we do a little bit about a behavioral interview there's a, a tech task just so we understand in terms of how we can support them going forward so um we quite keep their barriers i um, sorry keep their sort of um the expectations of that person quite wide so then we know in terms of when they come through our process what, how we can best support them and that might mean that might not be ready for our course yet um but we can then guide them and point them in the right direction and whether they might not be this time it you know go and obviously look at this area and then come and reapply or whether they're ready or whether they're just not suited to our program so we're very open and transparent around you know what the expectations are and also because it's a free program we have to be clear that you know to come on the program your, aim, aim, your end objective is to go into employment with one of our sponsors. So right from the word go, we're very clear about who that organisation is. We do webinars so people can find out a bit more about that organisation, talking about like the tech stack, et cetera. So we try and be really clear and transparent as possible so people know what to expect and whether they feel that that's right for them at that particular time.
0: if you're listening and thinking i'd love to work for a company like this then you need to go to www.jobsforgood.io where they have the best jobs in four good companies from climate change to social impact to green transport you'll be able to find the perfect job for you www.jobsforgood.io now back to the podcast And in terms of how they're matched up with a program, like is that driven by them and they're like, oh, well, that company looks really interesting or yeah, I was a Java developer before, I'd like to work for a company that uses Java. Or do you kind of as part of that initial screening process go, actually, we think this would be a great match and step for your career?
1: Yeah, a little bit of both, really. So obviously we go out and ad- advertise the programme and what the uh, requirements are and what tech stack and whether it's front-end, back-end, full stack, um, whether obviously there's requirements now around how many days a week they need to be in the office, whether it's remote, you know, all those things do factor in in terms of what that person's looking for and whether it's the right match for, for them. Um, and then, you know, we also do, Take part in in terms of understanding where they are and whether the we feel that it's the right sort of position for them, and then throughout the uh, program, uh, right at the beginning, we have what is called um, like a pre-journey, so a two-week pre-journey. So, say if you were applying for the program, you got offered a place. We give people the opportunity for a two week period to get into that mode of learning. So we give them sort of um, exercises, tasks to do, give them information about the organisation to, again, make sure it's the right decision for them before they transition onto the, the sort of the formal course, if you say the start of the course. So we can actually see whether it's the right sort of step for them as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, all makes sense. Like really, really well thought out. And like looking at it from the other angle, the 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 companies you work with, the sponsors, what does like an ideal sponsor look like? Because I guess they have to be of a certain size and like to have the resources and the the funding to to fund these programs, but also they need to be hiring a certain amount to make it worthwhile. And, and I think you touched on stuff earlier about things that you kind of, the due diligence that you do. Um, yeah, what's an ideal sponsor look like?
1: Yeah, so... It's an organization that's looking to, obviously they've got a need in terms of talent and I think every uh, business has that uh, currently. Uh, So that could be mean anyone, Um, but really thought out in terms of what they're looking for from a partnership from us. So again, like uh, I mentioned, I don't want us to ever be just a tick in the box. We want to create a real partnership and people and Individuals in that organisation that can really see the value of what returners can provide them. Um, and, you know, we look at in terms of from an, a due diligence perspective about what initiatives they, that they have been involved in, are getting involved in, you know, what are they doing in terms of diversity inclusion themselves? Just so, you know, we're working in partnership with them. So, you know, our values and vision align around that. Um, and then, you know, we we see it as very much a partnership over the program. So if a a company partners with us and sponsors um, a cohort, they get involved over the eight weeks. So they deliver talks like um, what it's like to work in the organization, day in the life, you know, round table discussions. So they get to meet the returners, but the returners get to hear what it's like. So, you know, where you maybe only get um, a two to three hour interview process, you know, companies are actually getting eight weeks to understand, you know, the individuals that are going to transition into their organization. And I think from that, it creates a, a really high success rate for us in terms of that transition from on the program into the organization. Um, you say hiring on like mass, and yet our cohort sizes are between 12 and 18. But, you know, like how we we've done that in the past you know with people maybe say well we can't take all 12 on um at one time so we've staggered start dates we've had organisations where we go right okay you know we are going to look to hire an X percentage of the cohort but we also then want to pay it forward for the rest of the cohort to then go, we'll support them in getting other roles within the organisation and do it as part of their sort of like corporate social responsibility you know help you know organisations that might not have access to that talent so you know we always like looking at different ways in which we can partner with forward-thinking um, organizations so yeah we're, we're quite open to that and that's great it's great I suppose being as like a scale that we are you know we we're always learning we always like feedback about how we can improve and do things better.
0: Definitely definitely and, and one of the things i read like not only is it a no no-brainer in the sense of the talent that you're giving them access to that's like an untapped pool of people. But also I think it I, I read it, it's like 50% less in terms of cost compared to like normal hiring routes. Yeah. Um what what is the commercial model? Like how do you charge your your partners or sorry, your sponsors?
1: Yeah, so it's like a program fee. So basically a program between um 12 to 18 people. And we're saying that it's a broad range because we're dealing with people at the end of the day, you know, we're not a numbers game. We don't want to do it like per person because I think it defeats, you know, like just putting people on for the sake of it. We're going for, for quality um, yeah. individuals coming onto the program and we do a program cost. So um, we've got two types of programs. So if you're doing like an eight week program, which is either like a eight week front end or an eight week back end um. That model is 104,000. Um, and then we do a full stack version, which is a bit more bespoke uh, to the organization. So depending on what they want to do, uh, we would obviously discuss that with them. But we're very transparent um, around it. But I think what companies have got to also understand, it, it it's, takes it away from a little bit of the numbers. It's the human aspect. So if you can imagine, I don't know whether people listen on that, know someone that's had a career break. Well, if you ever speak to them, they probably have written themselves off. They probably have thought, well, I haven't got an opportunity to return. You know, I actually have got really uh, low self-esteem. I won't provide any value anymore. i be been knocked back. One of the biggest impacts that companies can have is actually changing somebody's life, you know, and I really mean that changing someone's life. We've had people that have gone through uh, domestic abuse um, we've got people that have um, come from other countries and we have given them the opportunity and that organization's given them the opportunity. And they are so, so grateful and thankful that they've been given like almost like a second chance to now progress their career. They're motivated, engaged their development is so, so quick in terms of tra- trajectory, in terms of how they progress once they're within an organization and retention as well. You know, we've really started to track retention and, you know, it's, you know, it's amazing because people are so grateful for being the opportunity. So they then become very loyal, engaged employees with the organization. So it's not even just the cost factor, it's actually the human element that, what companies can really benefit from as well
0: yeah yeah, definitely and yeah i i I think it's a by yeah the the pricing being attached to the program it incentivizes the behaviors that you want to see as in like the sponsors trying to make those programs as good as possible give those people the the best possible experience during those so they, they do convert um so definitely and um I, you know, again, you mentioned it earlier. I was wondering, like, in terms of where you see the business growing next, because I think it's it's a great model. Obviously, you could expand it into different skill sets. Um, I know you don't like the term, but you know, different levels of seniority, like maybe more, yeah, um, away from kind of the mid seniors, et etc. Uh, it could be into like new geographies yeah, over the next few years. What, what are you targeting? Like, where would you hope the business grows?
1: So, yeah. Back in two thousand and eighteen, um, we launched a well, I launched a, another program, so called the Confidence Collective. So, again, that came out of some experience of mine of being a a woman leader within the tech sector and feeling I had to sort of demonstrate certain behaviours that I didn't feel that were natural to myself, and it got me quite interested around, um, you know, the the gender. Uh, types within uh, technical leadership. Um, And then I started to explore this more and the statistic out there that's actually only 5% of women in technology uh, leadership roles across the UK. And we've actually just launched a campaign called the one in four. So Deloitte actually wrote um, a paper saying that by the end of 2022, there should be one in four technical leaders and actually saying it's a positive, but I think definitely there should be more than one one in four um, in this day and age. So I wanted to do something about it because I couldn't find any support. You've obviously got university courses, but I didn't find anything really practical to, to help Uh, aspiring women who wanted to take that next step. So uh, we set up the Confidence Collective, um, focusing on real, um, in my term, real leadership skills. So focusing on like self-awareness, understanding where your natural strengths are and how to adapt these to build effective relationships, how to understand where you're going and what's important to you about values. Then, um, understanding what confidence is and how to gain more confidence and manage imposter syndrome and um, because that's usually the biggest barrier to stop people. Then how do you raise your profile in the market internally and externally? And then from a leadership perspective, you know, those real elements of you know having those difficult conversations, giving and receiving feedback, building um effective teams, but all underpinned by a community because usually women in leadership roles within the tech industry are normally on their own or in a minority and we're now bringing a community together to you know action learn learn off each other so we've run that program since 2018 and we've got over 100 women now within the community and we're looking at actually broadening that now and we've like I said we've launched the campaign for two more programs uh, starting the end of October so we have that running which is absolutely absolutely amazing. And we also then have our upskill side. So that's where organisations that, you know, maybe have um, invested in apprenticeships or graduates, and they're wanting to partner with an organization to help them upscale. So we do like DevOps upscale. So where um, people might want to transition uh, to the DevOps side and uh, James, my business partner, um, that's his background and can upscale people into um, DevOps. Or so we have where you can upscale into more um, depth of Java, C sharp, etc. So we have an upscale element of it. And then, um, We have like uh, our pay it forward conference. And I'm not sure whether you've uh, heard of this, but reframe women in technology. So this is a non-for-profit community conference giving back to people where we basically each year set out with a date and a theme and um, we ask for sponsorship. People from, the, uh, people from the community put themselves forward for speaker slots, people that don't necessarily go out and speak and give them a safe platform to do so. And we offer things like uh, free childcare. Uh, we keep ticket prices low. So at £39, you can have a full day of learning. Um, and we had uh, 500 people uh, attend at the Lancashire County Cricket Ground this year. We're doing a two-day one next year, uh, which is, you know, amazing um, just in terms of the um, feedback we've already had on it. So I think going forward, we want to expand all of these areas Um Tech Returners as an overall brand probably doesn't encompass everything we do and we're actually going through a rebrand project where Tech Returners will still exist but as a like a product stream and we'll have an umbrella brand with all our different offerings so people can be very clear about all the things that we can go into. Then obviously geography is next you know we are getting um, inquiries um, beyond the UK and it's something that I want to definitely offer uh, globally on that. Um, But we have done for the past year, like probably a lot of companies made sure our infrastructure's right after obviously, you know, the pandemic, et cetera, make sure we've got the solid infrastructure and the right people and the right roles to then be able to scale it effectively. Having scaled a couple of businesses in my past, I've got the uh, the insights in terms of what to do and what, what not to do. So um, we definitely have uh, <laughs> been a bit more privileged uh, around that. Um, and I have learned a lot from it. So it's yeah, really exciting times um, around it. And yeah, it's just like, but I always get it down to whatever we do, we're impacting people's lives. And that's one thing that I'm just so, so passionate about. I don't want people to have to feel in certain situations like I've had to feel and I want to give people an opportunity to to actually be able to develop themselves be able to return effectively be able to learn off others um in all different areas so that's that's sort of the key ethos of what we're all about
0: yeah i love it like just just helping people like genuinely helping them in, in their lives in so many different yeah. ways it, yeah yeah, that's why I love speaking to founders like yourself and just learning about these problems, but then actually more importantly, the way that we can have new solutions to like fix these problems and, and make them better. Um in terms of chatting to you a little bit about just like your personal journey as a business owner and a founder, you, you mentioned, you know, you've scaled a few businesses now, you you know what to do and what not to do. You know, to to founders listening that are trying to scale their own businesses, like can you share some of those kind of do's and don'ts?
1: I think one of the biggest lessons um, I learned through the pandemic, I think, you know, no founder could have said, right, okay, you know, tomorrow we're going to go through global pandemic and, you know, this is what's going to happen. Nobody could have foresight into that. I think what I learned very, very early on is in terms of um, making sure you're following your own journey and not get distracted by what you see other people doing because I remember those first early weeks right when furlough came out redundancies and you know you got on LinkedIn and everybody's made redundant everybody's going putting people on furlough and I'm like going wow right okay as an owner should I be doing all this and I'm like thinking do I need to be doing this and you know following what everybody else is doing and I quickly sort of realized, unfortunately, I lost my, my dad at the beginning of the the pandemic. And I always sort of remember things like he used to say to me and he's like, follow your own path, you know, check in with yourself in terms of from a financial element. And, you know, it wasn't great, but we we're, were all right. And I was like, right, OK, well, I just need to follow in terms of what we want to achieve and, you know, how we can, um, you know, pivot in this sort of very unpredictable time and be transparent. And I think my team will tell you is I was very transparent in terms of where we were as a business, maybe too transparent in certain times, um, as we just took on a couple of new starters as well. But I was very clear going, you know, obviously we can't plan for this, but what we can do is this and, you know, and welcome other ideas in terms of how we can navigate over the, what, what we didn't know, whether it was going to be a few months, few years, etc. Um, so things I learned was very much follow your own path and not be distracted by others. You know, be clear with people in in terms of, you know, how you're feeling and, you know, expectations. Vulnerability is such an important um, skill. Uh, I believe vulnerability definitely leads to courage around that. And if you don't know... It's fine not to know. You're not not supposed to know all the answers. This is my why you've got an, probably an amazing team around you, and I definitely have. And sometimes even now, I go, I don't actually know how we're going to solve this. Like, let's just get together and talk about it. And you know, those are the best ideas around. You know, when when you get getting like bit from one person, bit from the other, and then you create that. Don't feel like you have to know everything yourself. Um, so those are sort of the, some of the key lessons that I definitely have learned over the years
0: yeah definitely some great points um yeah and and uh i guess last couple of bits um in terms of just following on that for like you know building a a business especially one like tech returners where it's um it has a huge social impact what have you found has really helped you in building that like allowing that business to grow but stay true to like its sense of purpose like do you find it's just the purpose itself attracts people that want to be part of that or do you find it's focusing very much on like building certain values or, or whatever it might be
1: yeah it's it's a really interesting question in that because I do think that's from previous experience you know you start off in the startup culture and as you start to scale sometimes you can lose track in terms of you know your, your why your purpose etc but I think what what I do and you know our organization does we always come back to the why so we have like we're all fully remote um, within tech returners but we do get together definitely once a month as a team meeting and we can be in those meetings and we're sort of brainstorming different challenges etc that are going on or thinking about different ways we're doing that and sometimes it just takes that moment to go just stop a minute you know we always sort of focus like on you know maybe the challenges we've had and what didn't go so well but we just need to recognize what we're doing here and what actual impact that we're actually having and take that moment of reflection around okay you know that one slap message that you know we posted about somebody saying that they're so thankful and happy and can't believe the opportunity they have we're not taking that on board. We're not, we need to connect back to that and actually go, yeah, there might be things we need to improve, but look at the impact that we're already having, you know, look at the impact that we've had and, you know, really connect to, to that why. And, you know, also again, going up to managing expectations when we're growing the team. And when I talk to people that, are, you know, joining the business, I go, We're not, you know, we're not um, a process machine. You know, we don't know the answers to everything. You know, it all can seem a little bit manic and chaotic at the time. And we are learning as we go through each stage and iteration of our program. Um, But that's who we are. But what the core of our why is so, so strong and our purpose is so strong. So if you want an organization that, you know, has everything in place. We're not for you. You know, we're not for you. You know, we might call upon you, you know, to go, well, how do we solve this? And we might not have everything documented and, you know, doing everything correct. But, our purpose and our core is why what we do, um, and we'll never forget that. And um, so, I I think it again that clarity, you know, managing expectations with people. And um, it's like with organisations that we're dealing with. Some, you know, we look at our client list. You know, we're dealing with some very large organisations, and I sit on those calls. And you know, we they talk about their systems and procurement processes and things like that. You know, we learn as we go along. But when, when we go through those conversations, I always take it back to what we're trying to achieve and what we're doing and why we're doing it for what we're doing it and connecting that human element. Um, and I think we will never lose sight of that. Well, I definitely won't. I won't let the team, team lose sight of that because it's just so, so important um, about who we are and who we continue to be. And I never, ever want to lose sight. You know, I still love... I don't get necessarily get involved in delivering anymore, unfortunately, but, you know, I still make time to jump in on certain sessions. I, I did one um, yesterday. I'll jump in on certain sessions, you know, and meet the returners, make sure that they know who I am and what we're trying to to do and what our aim is for them, um, because I think that's really, really important. We still have that connection uh, there to, to what our sort of why is from tech returners.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think it's more powerful to have like a really clear sense of why and, and, you know, that why is connected to doing good and, and then actually not being perfect and, and joining a business where you feel like you could be, you can help achieve that why is, is actually really more powerful than like something that's perfect. Everything's set up and you're just kind of a cog plugged into this, this already running machine. Um. So I guess um, just to kind of wrap thing, things up, Becky, um, you yeah, know, I'm sure there'll be loads of people listening that would like to learn more about the programs or, um, just follow your journey. Like where are you most active on social media or where's best for people to kind of reach out?
1: I'm most active on LinkedIn. I do, like, you know, who ever follows me on LinkedIn, I do like a bit of, like, obviously, you know, what we do as an organisation, but I do give you an insight into my life as well <laughs> in terms of raising two children and the juggle. I wrote, I wrote a big, long post about coming out of the six-week summer holidays. Um, I, I took my two children away abroad on my own and the amount of transferable skills that I learned to, on that experience. So, um, yeah, I love talking to people, you know, from, like, from from a business perspective, but also you know, from a human aspect as well, I talk a lot about confidence, uh, vulnerability, you know, parent juggling, you know, grief. Um, of after losing my dad, so you know, I always love to have conversations and hear it from different perspectives. So, probably LinkedIn's the best, um, contact sort of medium for me. Uh, I'll be told off if I don't mention Tech Returners on. Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, etc. My marketing team will be going mental, um, but me personally, yeah, on LinkedIn.
0: <laughs> cool, Noted on both both fronts. Um, well, Becky, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for chatting to me. Like, a huge fan of you as a person, as also what you're doing at Tech Returner. So, just keep up the good work.
1: Oh, brilliant! Thank you so much for what you're doing as well, Craig. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you've enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode and leave us a review. We're just getting started out, so it would mean a lot to us. This episode was brought to you by Craig Turner, produced by Jabril al Sahimi, and sponsored by Jobs for Good. Until next time.